I got a bad dog over here. I see you. She's a bad dog. There she is. There she is. Do you have your new mic set up? Oh, she's, she can't even hear us. I went over there and set up a new mic. Hey, did you check out the podcast yet from uh, Lester? I did. I was like real comfortable in the beginning. And then by the end of it, I'm like sitting up straight. Yeah. Like, no slots <laughs> in my back. Like, you're in trouble. Let's get the hell out of here. I think it was the 360 cam that's the management at the Four Seasons. But and it's funny because the, the camera, I didn't take it off wide angle. I use wide angle when I use it to like film myself on my skateboard. And so it's distorted. And so everybody looks like they're not looking at each other. Like, because it's, it looks like you're in a globe. Yeah. My first question is just this big blue fog. Over me. <laughs> yeah, you've got, you've got lens flares. It was a disaster. And then uh, the camera yeah. on the side just picked up pretty much Lester. And then I, it, it kind of picked y'all up too in the background. I will say in the right environment, I think that'll be really cool though. It you can pan back and yeah, you can pan and you can control that in post. Like you can tell when you're editing where you want the camera to be pointing. So if you're asking a question, I can go to you. Now you can see it kind of wanders back and forth. That's just me not really knowing how to work the software <laughs> yet. Cause it's all, you have to key in each, it, it, it's, it's a little confusing. I know how to do it now but I just didn't have enough time or energy to fix. But it kind of does look cool the way it paints. It looks like the camera's moving, like no, it's on a dolly. For sure, you really were, Spielberg. And yeah. given the circumstances and all the external noise, I thought it turned out pretty damn good. Yeah, it did. And the, the software is pretty good at filtering out background noise. And yeah, hi, Jen, how are you? Good, how does my mic sound? Perfect. It sounds good. Do, do a one, two, check. One, two, check, 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 check. That is a lot better. That's not as echoey. I like that. Prestige worldwide, wide, wide. Prestige worldwide. We're on a boat. <laughs> so we got the Long Drake guys coming up. And this is, Jordan, I know you're disappointed, but this is not Tom from Finland. So Tom that's from a, Finland. Tom that's a, of Finland. Tom of Finland. That's a different. Get it right. That's from that's a vodka. Because I know that, I know you're into that scene on weekends. But anyway, told you, Jordan, I told you you'd make a terrible joke. <laughs> so I was just looking through my email and it looks like Ivan at Bernstein sent me a few notes. Uh, Bernstein had a call with Colonel John Saputo last week. Of course, John's the distributor, AB distributor, Modelo distributor in Sarasota, Florida and in Ohio. Just looking over the notes. I'm not sure if we're like allowed to write about it. I didn't really get a clear thing, but some of the things that kind of jumped out at me was that Modelo's doing well just because they have supply, basically. And then the other thing was that he believes that AB went up too much in price and Modelo didn't go up enough. Yeah, um, I, think, I think he said something like Constellation could take 25% price and still be all right. Yeah, right. And I kind of agree with them. I that's always been the case constellation even back when they were called barton beers have always been shy about they watch the price gaps between corona and bud light really closely and they don't and that's really how corona originally took off was barton and gambrinus eating the thing of the federal excise tax increase in 92 that was if you look at the old data that really marks when corona started taking off because the price gap between Corona and Bud Light 
got uh, much thinner. So I thought it's uh, still been working well for them. I mean, it's not a new it's not a new criticism that they could take more price. So. But is it just me or does Modelo seem like the more affordable Mexican import nowadays? It seems like or maybe that's just because it's so massive now yeah. that you see it everywhere and it seems like it's, you know, more affordable. But well, compared to what? Like No, I definitely to- think yeah, it's still so even Corona. You know, Modelo is a weird brand day. because it's two brands. It's Modelo in a bottle is so much different than the Modelo in a can because they're priced differently, which most brands don't do that. And they have such a big singles market. So the it's hard to gauge pricing with Modelo because they are, they've gotten so big that they're not only selling more beer in value packs, larger packs, but they're also selling more singles. So the price goes up with singles, price goes down on average with multi-packs. And so when you blend it together, it's hard to tell compared to competitors what it's doing. I mean, that's my take. I don't know if that makes any sense. But also um, if the other stuff that's more expensive is in their portfolio and that's their lead brand, right? The most voluminous brand, then voluminous, why not? Voluminous. I like saying that. The thing yeah. that I thought was interesting, and for some reason, of course, my mic is now effing up and I can't hear you at all. But didn't Saputo say something like he expects Oro to be like 30% cannibalistic? Yeah, he did say that. Yeah. That's interesting. If that actually happens, we'll see. That that could be interesting. But who knows? I mean, that's completely conjecture at this point. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, mean, I mean, it makes sense. I, I mean, it probably would be. I don't think that's outrageous. Do you? No. And when um, Corona Premier came out, I think there was, you know, similar reassurances that it wouldn't affect Corona Light mm-hmm. all that much. And I haven't checked on Corona Light's trends in a while, but <laughs> it's got <laughs> a it big, still... <laughs> it's in the East Coast. It's an East Coast brand. Yeah. Right. But it had a significant impact on Corona Light. So, right. Huh. But there is, there is no Modelo Light. Right. No. Nor should there be. So, I mean, Oro is their their light version, I guess. Um, well, and so in other in other like news or kind of rumor mills, I've heard over the weekend that the Reyes acquisitions in Austin and Nashville are not going well. Hmm. Um, I've heard rumors that in Nashville, a lot of their warehouse people walked off the job because they start doing mandatory drug testing, <laughs> which in 2023, really for a warehouse job, you're going to drug test. But I, I don't know, I guess they're operating machinery cliffs and such. Then in Austin, it's more serious that I'm getting reports that the, a lot of on-premise bars haven't seen a delivery in two or three weeks and that they're throwing Modelo out of accounts and Interesting. Uh, that Modelo's down in January in Austin and for the first time ever. Uh, in that market. But uh, anyway, I'll keep asking around to, to find it. I mean, I know Reyes is famous for cutting service and I'm sure there's a lot of rerouting going on. And whenever you reroute, there's disruption in deliveries. And I'm I'm assuming that's what's going on right now. Yeah. The disruption changeover. That makes sense. I will yeah. say that I saw a Capital Reyes truck at a gas station 
like right after the acquisition. I was like, damn, that was fast. Oh yeah. I, I've noticed that they paint their trucks quick. Yeah. They're Johnny on the spot on that. Yeah. I noticed that Glaziers did that too. When they bought Johnny's company here, uh, GLI, the trucks were repainted over the weekend, That's which crazy. is that really a priority that I mean, there seems like so many more important things to do than to re-decal your trucks, but. Sorry, uh, we couldn't deliver your Modelo, but our trucks right. are great. <laughs> yeah, right. That kind of is like an ego thing. Like we, uh, we're, we're pissing on this now. We own, you know, our <laughs> decals need up. to be. Yeah, put, hike that leg up and let's get going. How, so, I, how do I turn up the volume on this B? Uh, you got, so go to, you, your volume is probably down on your computer. Oh, wait, you told me to like mess with this until it's green. I told you not to touch the mic is what I told you. Okay. Hello? Yes. You have to do it in your computer. Okay. Just hit the volume button. I did. That doesn't help. Anyway, hopefully. Oh, well. Luckily, I have great hearing. Oh, I was no. going to say, your audio may just be getting lost in that headphone knot of yours. <laughs> the electrons can't can't make that trail. I mean, Jen... Slowing it down so I can understand it better. I mean, that knot is so Jen Litz. Yeah. Just... You're so put together in so many ways, and then in others, it's just a train wreck in Ohio. Well, you got to cut corners somewhere. It's a somewhere. trademark. <laughs> it is a trade. You know, Sam Bankman-Fried famously testified in Congress, and his shoelaces were all just like in a giant knot on his shoes. And, and people thought it was charming at the time. It was oh, before God. he defrauded everybody of $8 billion. Didn't he just get some new charges thrown against him? I thought for sure you were going to update us with the latest, Harry. Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> I mean, the guy can't be stopped. He, he just talks and talks and he's tried to reach out to former employees, which could be witnesses. So that's witness tampering. They need to just take his computers out of his house. I could go on and on about Sam Bankman Freed, as you know. If I'm not talking about him, I'm talking about my one wheel or my dog. And nobody wants to hear about those things. All three of those things are terrible subjects. But you know what it is a good subject? And that's the finished long drink. And what happened to Bevy? That's a great <laughs> opener, Harry. Right after I introduced them, why don't you ask them that? Yeah, what, what happened? To, I mean, is, is that a good thing or a bad thing for them? I'll let you ask them yeah, that's that. A, that's a great question. I mean, that's what I want to know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. What we have here is a failure to communicate. What movie is that from, Jordan? That is Cool Hand Luke. Damn, you're good. Jordan Jeez. is the best at references. <laughs> How did you know that? That movie wasn't even around when you were born. It's a cool. classic. Cool hand, Luke. What do I have here, Kate? Famous line. Gentlemen, welcome to BeerNet Radio. You've hit the pinnacle of your careers. This is the tops. This is the Garden of Eden. It's the tops. It's the Mona Lisa. It's the post where all your dreams come true. These guys are from the Finnish Long Drink. Jen, why don't you uh, introduce them and we'll get going. All right. Hey, guys. So we've got Evan Burns and Mikhail. You're going to have to tell me how to pronounce your last name so I don't butcher it. <laughs> Yeah, Mikhail Taipala. All right. Like he said, we've got the co-founders <laughs> of The Long Drink here. Little lay of the land this year. You guys are entering 2023 with a bang, having hit the million case mark. Superstar Miles Teller just upped his investment. You guys have brought on new talent like Rudy Costello as president and CSO. I pulled a little Nielsen IQ for our conversation today, and it looks like you guys in Nielsen IQ are the eighth best-selling RTD brand in the nation, up triple digits, 25 million in off-premise sales. And you're doing that with just four flavors. So welcome guys, and thank you for being on BeerNet Radio. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. Miles Teller is a maverick. 
I don't know if you guys know this, but I'm sorry that Millicent isn't on the call because she is just in love with this Miles Teller fella. He, phenomenon, man. I mean, everybody's talking about Miles Teller. Because he wasn't that big of a deal when he invested in your company, and now he's just blown up, and he's the yeah. maverick, you know? And that's got to be good news for you guys, I would think. Yeah. I, mean, I don't know if we know the answer. He was always kind of famous for like Whiplash was a big movie, and then like War Dogs and some of those things. Project X, I guess, was one. But yeah, this was like next level, but also Top Gun's like Americana, right? I think America kind of needed a movie like that. So we're, we're definitely happy about it. It's the yeah. movie America didn't ask for, but needed. <laughs> like Cool Hand Luke in 2022, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, you know what I'm curious? I mean, I have a few questions, but since we're talking about Miles Teller, I always wonder when you have celebrity investors and ambassadors, how do you like keep them in line, you know? Because anything an actor says these days can kind of like go off the right, you know, people can take things a certain way. So does that ever scare you guys having investors that are famous because you never know what they could say? It's a good question. I think a lot of brands, it's a real risk for them when the whole brand is a celebrity. I mean, if you are X person's tequila, which my goodness, I think every celebrity has two or three tequila brands now, but if the brand is a celebrity, there's a risk, you know, for long drink and, you know, Nick, I can speak to it too. Like it's a 70 year old concept category from Finland. And any of these celebrities, whether it's Miles Teller or Ricky Fowler or whomever that's invested in Long Drink, you know, they did it because they love the product and the story. So they're just amplifying the story. They're not saying, this is my drink. I mean, certainly they're co-owners in it, but they're saying, I love the story. I love the taste. I want more people to know about it. So it's a different, it's a different narrative. Certainly there's some risk. I mean, we have a lot of trust in our partners, but um, I think it's different if you're the brand versus the uh, just somebody that's invested in really helping amplify anything heritage and story. Okay. Um, well, I'll jump in here. Jen, we're having a little issue, audio issue with Jen's mic. Uh, but I think one thing we all wanted to hear about was just kind of your reaction to Boston Beer's quick exit from this category last year. What was your reaction? Was it a good thing? Was it a bad thing? How'd y'all feel about that? Mikhail, why don't you speak to that being finished? I'm the only American out of the four cohorts. <laughs> so, you know, Mikhail, you, you are much more... Uh, experience to speak about what isn't isn't a long drink yeah no i mean i mean for us like you know when boston beer entered the category i mean that was essentially that was something that you know it, it sort of qualified that what we've been doing since 20, 2018 when we launched we wanted to create a category of long drinks in the u.s that's always been the goal and and we've been saying that since the very beginning and people they kind of laughed at us and looked at us weirdly when we said that in the early on but but when they launched that really you know that proved it, that now it, it is a category. There are multiple brands, just like in Finland too. There are multiple brands of, of long drinks. And um, so it wasn't a bad thing. That just meant that other people also saw what we saw and believed in the category and it, its future success. So that wasn't wrong. Uh, obviously the difference with Boston beer was that their their recipe wasn't, wasn't the, their real long drink recipe wasn't spirit based. So it was a malt based. There was a difference in the taste. And we kept telling that story and believed in our product and in our authenticity, our, uh, premium recipe of the product and uh, kept doing our thing and uh, clearly they didn't they didn't you know see the success that what they hoped for um, and uh, decided to uh, you know switch to the other direction which you know I don't really change anything for us again you know whether they're there or not it doesn't really change we're doing our thing and we believe in our our brand and our product but uh, maybe the consumers saw the difference too and and uh, you know they weren't willing to switch from from our long drink to theirs yeah right. Do you expect them to come back with a spirits-based version? I don't know. That's a, that's a good question. <laughs> I Go don't ahead, think Harry. so. I, I don't think so. I I think um, 
you know, when a big company like that gets burned, they they don't want to be reminded of 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 the bad times, and so they kind of just punt. But um, but yeah, I you know, I first uh uh well not not I knew of your long drink when y'all launched, but um, I saw it being passed around over the bar in Austin a couple of years ago and uh, on premise, which was a surprise to me. And it was, it was kind of a, a big deal. Um, do you find that it is uh, or where are you selling the most? Is it like an East coast thing? It's really all over. I mean, our, our top five biggest States are located very far apart from each other, frankly. Um, yeah. But you know, this time last year, I think we had 12 States and now we're essentially in all of them minus a few control States that are coming online. Yeah, I think what the weird challenge is like there's no data around where long drinks work and don't. You know, in some of the states that are top five states, it's a little bit older demographic that's more dominant. In some states, it's younger, you know, post college, uh, which really mirrors like in Finland. It's sort of everybody. It's young, it's old, it's, you know, rural, it's urban, um, it's male, it's female. I mean, it's a category in Finland. I think it's, Michael, correct me if I'm wrong, I think it's 10% of alcohol or something like the long term makes like 10% of alcohol, which is like the size of craft beer in America, right? So it's a fairly large thing. Um, I'll asterisk that and come have to correct me on that number, but it's, it's fairly big. And it's so, kind of like the white claw of Finland, if you will, like a seltzer. I, you know, I can, I can tell y'all don't like that comparison. <laughs> yeah, just, I saw these premium. blank faces on the, uh, no, it's not like the white claw. If, if white claw was around for 70 years and has been kind of yeah. stable for the whole country, then maybe, yeah. But, uh, yeah, good point. As the American, as the American guy that visited Finland, it doesn't feel like white claw because it feels more like Coca-Cola. Like Coca-Cola is Americana. Mm-hmm. And like you go to Finland, you see long drink everywhere, right? So it's kind of like Finland kind of, but yeah, it's, it's, and, it's and people are very proud about it there. You go to Finland, people are very proud about the So the one, one alcoholic beverage is actually from Finland. So, uh, yeah. you know, every, every tourist who comes in like Evan was for us, you know, the first thing we gave to him was all the Finnish delicacies and long drink was obviously one of the first ones. It's, it's right. nice because whenever you, that's actually one delicacy everybody likes when you give it to them. The others are kind of more weird. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, the, the Finnish mustard is the second best food to come from Finland. If you guys have never had it, definitely pick it up. Oh yeah. It's it is it, it, is, it's it awesome. is weird for us though, because we we spend a material amount of our time doing education because you know, what the heck is a long drink? Nobody really has any concept. And they want to say, well, is it a beer? Is it a seltzer? They're immediately looking for that that um reference point. And you know, structurally we're categorized and uh, categorized as an RTD because we're a spirit-based product, but we're not an RTD. Like in Finland, nobody is using this as a replacement for a cocktail. This is not like a cut water. This is not like a vodka soda in a can for convenience. Um, so again, we just spend so much of our time educating them. It's its own category. You know, it, in Finland, it's massive on-premise. We are, you know, 25 plus percent on-premise and growing, frankly, as a percentage. Um, and it, you know, just drinks in a very different way. It's just a very sessional product. So it's uh, it just looks much differently than most other categories in the U.S. So right. where do you guys innovate from here or do you, are you just going to ride the authenticity and choose not to innovate? Um, well, I think we have a lot of work to do on awareness first. So last year we had 12 States. Now we had to get available everywhere. So we're very happy that we're widely available now. We're at about 35,000 doors. I think we'll get that to 45,000 or 50,000 this year. Um, but it, it's much more a game of driving awareness. Long drink has less than 1% brand awareness. So the fact that we're as big as we are with less than 1% of people knowing what it is, means there's a load of opportunity. We don't need to get on the innovation treadmill of creating new flavors. We need to really focus now on our focus and how do we drive more awareness to this new category? It's hard, right? When you're doing something, I think Boston, yourselves too, when you're sizing something that people have no allegory for, it's just tough, right? Because people, again, they're like, what the heck's a long drink? It's like when you, I always use the analogy, you know, when you learn a new word and you've never seen it in your life, 
But then you learn that word and you see it like 10 times the next week. And you're like, where's that thing been? Yeah. It's the same thing with yeah. the laundry. You're, you know, or any new concept, your brain kind of edits it out. So um, spending that time to get it available, you know, both in the big displays and the bucket deals or whatever is, is worth the time. But the best part is the velocity sticks. I mean, we got expansions at really all the chains. We can continue the expansion of accounts. Churn is really not an issue. Um, so it's just that consistent education. This is its own thing. It's its own category. If you get it in, people will love it. Yeah. Speaking of, you know, awareness and, and building it out in the specific channels, do you think consumers care or know that it's gin based? Because, you know, gin is not super popular other than you guys in the RTD format and the spirits RTD format, right? It's all tequila, vodka. So what do you think about that? Yeah, that's that's one thing that's interesting because, you know, and we've learned that along the way, too, that that the gin is definitely not something that Americans easily easily get into right so we've actually it doesn't and long drink doesn't taste like gin as, as you guys know i mean when you when you try it usually the first comment is why it doesn't taste at all like gin so nowadays we don't really talk about the gin aspect of it before people try it after they tried it then you know then it's fine it is gin what's in it but it's a very light gin so you can say you know they'll be surprised that it even has gin so mm-hmm. net net you know we we just talk about being hard liquor and and uh, not go with gin forward Try the taste, see what it tastes like, and uh, usually people love it. But um, yeah, the gin is not something that's that's our sort of marketing to say that hey, this is a gin drink because that's not what it tastes like. Yeah, no, I, I'm a gin drinker, so I I'm, I was curious there, but um, I don't know if this was covered. Uh, what's your wholesaler network like? Is it mixed? Yeah, it, it is mixed. I mean, we we have a partnership with Southern Glacier nationally, and we we really appreciate that that helped us go from you know again twelve states last year to being that having national coverage, but. Uh, you know, we also have a pretty big footprint in beer distributors or mixed beer and spirits distributors. Um, and, you know, frankly, we've had a good experience across the board. What we really appreciate is there's obviously legislation in so many states to tax spirit-based products in cans, low ABV spirit-based products, um, as their counterparts are in the wine space or even the beer space. Those have been great. You know, we have markets like Michigan where we couldn't play it in five years ago that are now material parts of our business. I mean, we did like 150,000 cases in Michigan last year. Five years ago, it wasn't in the plan, right? So um, there's a lot of upside in these places. Is there are there any markets that you've got your eye on that you really want to you know drive hard once you're betting on that legislation change or that you know that? Yeah. I, honestly, I don't think we're too worried about it because first of all, we as a small business can't really control it. Uh, the voters control, and I think the voters are making their their voices heard pretty well. Um, but there, there's always the big states like Texas that are an opportunity when they start taxing. Uh, in treating distribution on equal equal uh, footing, that'll be a big difference. But honestly, we have markets that are um, you know distribution difficult versus you know markets where we're tax distributed like beer. We do well in both of them. Um, and and honestly, you look at brands like High Noon too, where they have you know markets like New England, where that's a, there's no chains really in most of New England states, where that's a huge brand. So yeah, yeah. right, very very varied market. And when you guys um, when you open up a, a like a, a a new state. How do you, what, what, what is your, like, what pricing are you looking for on the shelf? Is it like price in line? Would you look at like cut water or what are you looking for as a competitive set? I think high noon is, is, is a pretty close comparison to us on, in terms of pricing. That's what we usually, obviously we, we sell a six packs and, and there's four packs. So it's, you know, the, the absolute pricing on a pack is a little bit different, but on a per can base basis, we, we usually try to be around that price range of high noon. Well, and I think our thought is, and who knows what we're going to be right about this, but if you look at the states where we're you know, moving uh, 100,000 plus cases and growing, we think price matters, but we also think people are willing to pay for products that they think are just really sessional and they love the taste of and have some soul to them. Like like long drink, 
has a soul to it. It's a story invented by the Finnish people. It's 70 years old, over 70 years old now. It's a story you can tell your buddy uh, or your girlfriend over the, over having it at, at the bar. Like people like that authenticity in that story. And we think people are willing to pay for it and we'll stick to it. And frankly, our markets that are now four coming up on five years old, those markets are still growing at 50 to 100%. And we're one of the bigger brands, period, in those markets. And you know we've done new innovation to your point. Um, so it, people seem to be sticking with it. And we're pretty happy about that. It's mirroring in America like it did in Finland. And that was kind of the original thesis. You guys have and, been around longer than I even advised. Is it? Do you think it's harder or easier now at this point in, in the brand establishment, right? Like, do you have to hustle as hard as you used to with the sampling and the nonstop like media and all of that stuff? Or has it gotten a little bit easier? What do you think, Mikhail? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it definitely has gotten a lot easier, but, uh, <laughs> but, the, but, the, but the main stuff is still there, right? I mean, yeah. but I mean, yeah. To your point, we started off with, with really coming outside of the industry and outside of the country. So it was really just knocking on doors and uh, getting people to try this product. So that obviously took some time to get the initial traction and get get people to know about us, get distributors to know about us and believe in us and, and start start partnering up with them. So that took some time, but but it was always based on sampling, tasting, telling the story. And in the end, it's still the same thing. Now it's just obviously we have thousands and thousands of people and, and more experienced people and uh, more credibility with the distributor. So it is a lot easier now, but the, still the, the, it comes down to the consumer trying it and liking it. And that's the same thing as it was back in the days when we started knocking I on doors. Because the, early, like the early days, you know, Mikhail and our two other Finnish co-founders moved from Helsinki to the US, which is kind of like the American dream, right? You have this vision, you come here, you raise money and it's very scary. And we didn't know anything we were doing, right? So like literally like taking backpacks and walking them and down the streets of like pitching to independent retailers or like, you know, waiting outside the distributor meeting for like somebody or building for one of them to come outside and be like, hey, can you try this thing? Like it was like truly like the original startup story. So that's what we laughed. We're like, it's much easier now than it was in the beginning. Um, so we're, we're happy about that. And, and you know, from the, from the industry standpoint, I think people are being more innovative now than they were. I think they've seen innovative things can work. Um, but I, I still think, you know, there's a big difference. There's folks that are, they're risk tolerant and will look at new things and say, I'm going to give that a shot. And there's folks that say, if I've not seen it work before, I'm not willing to take a risk on it. And a lot of our long drink distributors, um, were folks that when other people are saying, no way, what the heck's a long drink, there was the one person saying, I'm going to really go to bat for this. And those people, <laughs> frankly, there's a lot of folks that have done very well because they've, they've captured something that's been a big winner for their distributorship. Um, and that when a lot of our people said, hey, this is nothing that, that's not going to work in America. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, jumping back to the off-premise and pricing and spirit spaces, um, you know, it sounds like retailers are expanding the shelf space for RTDs. But have you started to see any uniformity in how they organize the shelf? Or is it still just kind of all lumped together? I think it, we're seeing a lot of changes, to be honest. And I think a lot of retailers are starting to look at, I think what's happened in the past year especially with an RT retailers are deciding and they're agreeing that like most consumers are not deciding their choice based on the base. They're deciding do they like the product, right? And I think we in the industry are so stuck on, is it speared? Is it malt? Is it gin? Is it whatever? And consumers are like, I like this at this price. Yes or no. Frankly, that's simple. So a lot of retailers are starting to see move us and frankly, some other RTDs like High Noon into fast moving beverage spots. And we might be by a truly, we might be by a local or regional craft beer that's high velocity. Because it makes sense for them. They're trying to get the highest churn for that space on the shelf. And the retailers that do that, we've really leaned into with, and it's been frankly great for everybody. Uh, and they also like selling products back to price that are a little bit higher because they get more dollar per transaction and frankly, often a little bit higher margin. We love long drink, 
because there's not 50 brands of long drink that are competing on price like there are in seltzer and craft. We can come in, we're the only player in the category effectively, and they can take a little higher margin. And we're happy to have that because we get the shelf space for it. Right. You know, so, you know, we in the industry know what a long drink is, but, you know, kind of like you said, once you've learned of it, you start, you know, hearing about it all the time. That that happened to me. How uh, do you, when you're like both marketing to wholesalers and retailers and the consumer, how much do you, weight do you put on the Finland long drink historical heritage piece of that versus, hey, this is just a great tasting RTD that, you know, that, that's very sessionable. So how do you switch between those two kind of modes? Uh, I think that's a really good question. And we've kind of, you know, it really depends on the situation, obviously. I mean, we always, the Finnish part of it is always there. But I think for for a lot of the consumers, if you look at the big mass of consumers, that's still the second layer of it, right? I mean, the first layer is is, do I like it? Do I love it? But then once you become a consumer, there's so much deeper you can go. And then you start to get on this detail of the story. And, and then the, when, they, when they talk to their friends, that's when they often, you know, become these nerdy facts about the product that they're drinking and, and how I think that's a big part of it, how, why people are so, um, why people want to talk about this product to their friends too. But yeah, to your, to your initial questions, like I think, I think we do always mention it, that it's a finished product with a history, but, but initially you still lead with the, the, the taste and because that's what what gets people's attention. When once they've tried it, then it's easier to go deeper into it. But I don't I don't go too deep before having people try it first because they you know then they lose you lose their attention if they don't get the conceptualize how how good it tastes like. Right. I know Jen loves to drink long drink. Don't you, Jen? <laughs> I do. I do love to drink long drink. Love to drink. hear that. Yeah, no, it tastes like boozy fresca, right? So boozy fresca. They're gonna put like, that on their POS now, Jen. Well, they <laughs> actually told me that first, <laughs> and I tried it, and I was like, "This absolutely tastes like boozy fresca." I'm wearing my long drink colors today, guys. That's how yes, much. Yes, that. that's great. Um, no, I have a question too. Do you guys still? I'm sure you have a handful of contract producers, right? But do y'all produce at FS, FX Matt, or or where is it made? We do there, and then also in North Carolina. Okay, cool, cool. Just curious. Um, yeah, Fred Matt is is cool. I wonder, do you guys trade notes with him a bunch? Like, has he given you any industry advice or anything? Yeah, I mean, look, we Fred Fred's been like in the family for like four years now, right? So anybody, <laughs> I'm sure half the people on the, that listen to this know Fred Matt. So we love Fred. He's, oh, he's, yeah. he, there's been honestly, I have, I have to give Fred a lot of credit. He has been patient with us. Again, we came from outside the industry, taught us a lot of things. He really helped us, you know, build a, a manufacturing process that worked well and consistent product delivery, which I think is really key. Um, but, you know, I think also there's been, you know, probably a dozen or so kind of Fred Matts in our lives that have said, hey, you, these are some some young folks. They're trying hard. There's a lot of specificity in this industry. So we'll try to teach them the ways of, the ways of working. And Fred's certainly one of those folks. Yeah, yeah. And how about Rudy Costello? How did you guys snag him? And, and what is he doing for the company? Yeah, we love Rudy. I think, you know, first of all, we because we knew so little at the beginning, we, we really said it's going to be important to us to find folks that that understand the industry can help us work it. So, um, you know, when we kind of made our distrib- our distributor go to network plan last year and, you know, agreed to a national footprint in Southern Malaysia, um, you know, we were looking for folks that we thought could be really strong in leading the company and leading sales. And, you know, and, and really we were looking for somebody as a maverick. You heard me earlier say a lot of folks, they get scared when there's no proof. It's easy to launch a celebrity tequila when you're like, well, look how many have, have grown, right? It's not, it's not that scary because someone's done it before. Long drink scary because who knows how big it can be? What if it topped out at 500,000 cases? 
a lot of people thought that would have been crazy, a crazy high bar for us, right? So, you know, Rudy mm-hmm. saw the vision, he dug into the data. And he, frankly, he did it with some, some, folks, some folks around him that were really smart. And he's like, gosh, like, you know, the velocities on, on this, these products with no innovation, even in markets that are three and four years old at the time uh, are wild. And you match that up with having brand awareness that's still sub 1%. This could be in America what it is in you know, if this gets up to be 10% brand, uh, you know, the, of the category in America, it's massive. Now it's, you know, who knows if that can happen, but even if it's 1%, it's still incredible. So I think he saw that. And, you know, we said, look, if you can help us really build out and manage this commercial ops team, that'll be key. And, and honestly, you know, 80% of our team works on uh, commercial ops, just to bring management and support, because we think that's such a key to building this out because um, it's such a unique pitch. You need everybody pulling in the same direction. Yeah. This industry is in the United States specifically is so unique and that it's not an industry. It's really 50 industries. And then you throw into the mix the whole control state thing, which is just bizarro to people who don't understand it and don't have you guys cracked the code with control states are you are you in with those guys pennsylvania first uh we are in some we're not in others that was kind of the last tranche of states we were going to launch so we launched all the other states first and those states will come by this year apparently all you have to do is is just give free bottles to the 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 regulator <laughs> or just pay them get under a, the table get them blackout I mean, drunk that, that's it, uh, i need to know whoever those buyers are is there a month that goes by that that some control state regulator isn't being hauled <laughs> off to jail it's just whoever gets uh, voted in to be the head of the pennsylvania control state he will end up in jail just i mean <laughs> automatically in two years because it, Pennsylvania is the largest single point in the world. Anyway, I'm getting off track. <laughs> anyway, yeah, yeah. So I'm sure yeah. they were really anxious to uh, put their two cents in. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. backing away slowly. Well, I think even anybody that doesn't understand, because even though Long Drink Summer RTD, it's still regulated and distributed as an RTD, a liquor and a cam. I think anybody who doesn't really understand that, where you should look in you know, the Nielsen sales and then also just looking to brands like High Noon, like look at where High Noon does revenue and doesn't do revenue as kind of the number one brand in the space. And it's really shocking the consumption per capita in places like Ohio versus places like Pennsylvania because availability matters. Like consumers, again, consumers don't care what the base is. They care about the taste and the price point. So they're con- they're just confused in Pennsylvania. Where do I, why can't I get High Noon everywhere? You know, they just don't get why it's not at the store. And same thing in New York, they don't understand why High Noon or Long Drink aren't available at the bodega. They just, they don't get it. And, and that's, the barrier to educating that just makes it not worth investing as much in those states. But again, the, the tide is very quickly changing. So, but what are your guys' background? Like, Mikhail, you're from Fem, and you saw you saw a big opportunity, which obviously it is. And and how did you get into this? I guess. Yeah. So, I mean, it really was. I mean, yeah, we were completely outside of the industry. So, I mean, I was I, was, I'm a, I have a finance background. I was working in management consulting, like my two other co-founders uh, at the time, and. Uh, yeah, we were just avid consumers of long drinks in Finland. Um, you know the brands that are there, and and uh, yeah, then Evan, Evan, we became friends with Evan while we were studying in the U.S. during our studies, and he eventually visited us, and you know we were giving him the tour of Finland and the best things about Finland, and and long drink was obviously one of them. And uh, then we started joking, we're joking around with the idea that how how huge this could be if everyone really loves it, just like we experienced back home, like when everybody when anybody visited, they always loved it. So. Just started off as a as a kind of a you know funny joke with between Evan and us, and then we just started pushing it forward a little bit, and 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 really realized how how big of an opportunity it was. But but um, and took it's not so funny anymore, is it? Yeah, funny <laughs> no, joke, not funny. funny. Ho- 
Yeah, yeah. We always laugh about that. We're like, man, we thought that'd be a lot easier. We're sitting in a sauna one day, and uh, that's when the idea came up. But yeah. not, Is that what y'all do? Y'all just sit in saunas all day. That's what I've heard. <laughs> yeah. You go out fishing, and then you end up in a sauna. I mean, that's just that's Finland. We do. We do a lot of work in a sauna. And the sun never sets. Um, or never comes up, depending on the time of the year. Yeah. We do tell these funny facts at the beginning of uh, each GSM presentation with Long Drink. And uh, one of the, there's a few funny facts I always laugh at. Number one is there's more saunas than cars, which is wild. There's a lot of cars in Finland. It's crazy. Like the, yeah. the, oh, like homes in Finland have saunas, like homes in America have like washers and dryers. Like it's just, it's expected, right? It uh, sounds awesome. The Burger Kings in Helsinki have saunas. So like, you know, a big Mac <laughs> like a lot. Like imagine doing that and like sweating everywhere. Like, that so, sounds wonderful. Grease on the walls. I mean, that is just, that is so yeah. awesome. Sounds like your kind of place, Harry. You know, I love really songs. Crazy. The true crazy thing is, though, people, I mean, like that analogy of Coke to Coca Cola to, to America and long drink to finish, it really is, it's everywhere. Whether you're at a dive bar, karaoke is big in Finland, singing karaoke at White Table Coffee restaurants, it's really everywhere. And uh, so when we when we talked about it, I, I built a you know media company before long drink focused on 18 to uh, 25 year olds, and we had about 30 million monthly active users. All of the revenue was, you know, major fortune 50 brands targeting that audience and the thing that we saw about long drink was there's a soul to it because our thesis was that you know people of course love products there's a lot of great products out there but what's going to make that product be around for 10 20 30 years so our vision was this has got this story it's got this soul it's you know owned by finnish folks and partnered up with american folks how can we build something that's generational that lasts for a long time and frankly you know it's we want to win the u.s market but this is not an american story this is a finnish story we tell to americans Eventually, it can be a finished story tell to Brazilians or Mexicans or, you know, Indians or Japanese. So uh, it really is. The reason why we called the company the long drink company is because the vision was to take this finished story around the globe. Right. So speaking of, you know, generational uh, staying power, um, would you guys ever be open to partnering with other projects or, or other people besides the investors you have today to help expand the brand? I think we're always open. Anybody can help us go faster, right? We've got a lot of great distributor partners who we've gone, you know, very deep in those partnerships with to accelerate speed and, and depth. Um, but if there's somebody who can come in and help us accelerate both domestically and internationally, for sure. And like, you know, a lot of folks have reached out and talked to us. Um, yeah, you know, a lot of these sure. major holding companies are always thinking, how do they have a brand that can be a global platform? It's tough to manage a bunch of regional platforms. Um, so that's always interesting. It's just fun. Going back to the same thing I mentioned earlier, who are the right executives who truly have vision? Versus the executives just want to copy whatever else is already the, the trend that's already happened. And I think one of the things this industry could do better at is having more executives who have vision for the future, right? Again, we don't need more celebrity tequilas, right? We don't need more seltzers. Yet we have thousands of seltzers and hundreds of celebrity tequilas. So where are those folks that are getting ahead and saying, we're going to go to the future and build the next 20 and 30 year business? All right. Interesting. How did y'all, uh, what did y'all do during COVID? And did it affect your business, positive or negative, either way? Uh, I don't know, what would you say? That was tough. That yeah, was no, tough. It, it definitely impacted. I mean, like, like I said, we were big on-premise. <clears throat> you know, long drink is big in on-premise, and we always focused on building the brand in the on-premise as well. So that was obviously impacted a lot during COVID. But, um, but yeah, we, we kept, the, kept the troops on the ground and, uh, you know, supported our on-premise accounts where we could. You know, we were, we were uh, you know, helping with the, uh, the out-of-home sales or, or selling to go. And, um, you know, then kept obviously hustling the, the off-premise piece of it. And that picked up pretty quickly. I mean, obviously, there was a huge slump at birth. But then, as, as I'm sure a lot of other brands noticed, too, the, uh, 
the, the off-premise jump back pretty quickly and uh it, it ended up being a good year for us we uh, there's a lot, of, a lot of uncertainty for sure yeah we were terrified yeah. because overnight we lost and like 60 percent of our accounts were gone overnight because back then we were like 40 percent on premise as a younger mm. brand and nevada was a top three state and if you remember remember nevada closed all the liquor stores it was, oh. it was like wild so we were like we we went from you know one week we're growing like crazy two weeks later like 60 percent of our accounts are gone and we're like oh my gosh and of course everybody's reeling everybody's scared for health and safety um so it's easier to talk about it in, in retrospect but um it, it really was concerning one of the things we did though because we're like gosh what can we do we have to create awareness and people talking about this so there's this funnish word this funny word in finnish um Mikhail, do you want to pronounce it? Because I'll, I'll mess it up. <laughs> okay, so that word is a Finnish word that translates to pants drunk. And pants drunk <laughs> is this Finnish word, this Finnish concept of like, you know, when you're asking your friend, hey, what are you doing after work today? They'll say that word, Kalsari Kanit, which means like, I'm going to go home, I'm going to take off my pants and have a drink in my underwear with no intention of going out. <laughs> so we were like, okay, COVID's scary. It's very dangerous. We don't know what's going on. We're like, this is kind of this hilarious Finnish tradition that kind of like is being quarantined. So we ran this big campaign called Panther Drunk, where if you went out and tagged yourself drinking a long drink on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, we would donate $10 to the, the U.S. Bartenders Guild for everybody that tagged us. So it went viral. It was in, you know, in, the, it was in print in the New York Times, always in articles. And so it was this really kind of fun thing that was both fun and funny and lighthearted and for a good cause at a time when we all needed that. And, and that drove a lot of kind of excitement and awareness, especially within the industry. And, and frankly, you know, bartenders and folks in the industry have been such a big part about advocating for this brand. So even though we lost 60% of our accounts, we actually ended up growing over a two month period between all the things Mikhail said, plus the pants trunk campaign and the support from, from folks in the industry for a brand they really loved and thought had a story behind it. Yeah. Huh. Oh, making so you get home in your underwear, it makes business work out. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm always in my underwear. Who says I'm not right now? And, and who says I'm not in a sauna? I mean, it looks like a it sauna. Looks like it, yeah. yeah. Um, well, the what about this Miles Teller fellow? How did you hook up with him? Is he a friend of y'all's or what happened there? And for what it's worth, all the other investors kind of found it organically. We've never like gone and pitched celebrity investors. Um, he found it in New York at a tasting at a liquor store. So, really? And huh. we had like, one of the folks on his team was friends of one of mine. And so he, we started getting him long drink and he became a big fan and said, I want to get involved in this. And you know, this is back in the days when we're like, hey, any help is needed, what we'll take. And so he uh, started helping out. And then the cool thing is like, you know, then he had, he got married and like Kygo's manager and Kygo were at his wedding and everybody's drinking long drink at this wedding. So they became fans and like, then they invested in like Kygo and his manager or Miles are playing golf with Ricky Fowler, who they're just like friends with and they've got long drink and then he wants to get involved. So there's all these kind of like fun, organic things that we just keep getting calls and they're like, hey, like we'd, we'd love to get involved. A lot of folks are part of kind of Kygo's group called Palm Tree Crew. So they, they become major, major advocates for the brand, which we always appreciate. Yeah, Were you great. mad that he didn't have a can of long drink in a Super Bowl commercial? Yeah, it's hard to oh, tell no. when you squint from far away, but like kind of looked like long drink, right? Oh, There's really big, really big letters on the can. But I don't know if consumers would, uh, would I think consumers would probably able to tell the difference when they try it. Yeah, right. Yeah. Listen, he was catching bags. We we all got to at some right. point. Oh, yeah. Serena Listen, Williams Ser does it. Serena so. was in two different yeah. alcohol ads. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Talk about. That was strange. But, uh, um, we were happy that money found its way back to investing in the company. Yeah, right. <laughs> you just, this thank Anheuser-Busch for, <laughs> that's funny. Jordan, I know you're biting your lip over there. Well, so. no, just, just one last thing that I wanted to ask. Just given how well you have done in the on-premise and then given the history of the long drink and some of your investors' professions, 
uh, with Ricky Fowler, Kyoga. How big of an opportunity do you see in venues and, you know, these non-traditional on-premise golf courses, all that? Yeah, it, it's hard to give an answer on opportunity, but we feel like, really, like quantifying it, but we feel really great. I mean, there are, we're, we're in a lot of the big venues organically. We don't really have many partnerships. We've gone in and paid to be a marketing partner, but a lot of stadiums have brought them in out of just, again, folks in the industry loving it and supporting it. So we think that's great. We've been blown over by some of the numbers. There are multiple golf courses out there that are, you know, 50 to 100K steals on, on, sometimes in a month, many in a quarter. Um, so that it's really cool to see that happen. I mean, it goes back to like, once folks try a long drink, a lot of them make it one of their go-to drinks. Like it's in their kind of monthly rotation, um, kind of like what you have seen with Tito's and soda. And so that that's what has made us and frankly, folks that are a lot smarter than Mikhail and I in the industry say, we're going to take this small kind of weird thing that nobody knows about and really go deep with our distributor partners, with folks like Rudy, all of our other great employees who are you know really exceptional folks in the industry. Uh, they just, again, they come back to, they see the velocity, they see it working over four and five years in some of these older states of ours. And they're like, heck, this thing, we're not even sure what the upset is. If we, when we launched Nevada five years ago, if we would have said to our partners at Southern Voyager, there would be 120,000 case brand in four years, they would have laughed us out of the room because nobody in RTD was doing that, right? And so, you know, we're now we're doing that and growing at 50% annually still with no innovation. So we're not even sure what the ceiling is that we're just going to keep chugging away and working on it. I think we did say that, by the way, and I think they did laugh at us. No, <laughs> that might be true. Yeah. Who's laughing now? No, I, I think it's uh, I think it's great. You guys, you own a category, you know, and that is such a sweet spot to be in. And because it's an authentic category, it's not some made up thing. And, you know, mezcal is a category, tequila is a category, but there's just so much noise that it, it is kind of nice to, to be the first. I like seeing young people succeed. Don't you, Jen? I love it. Especially Thank when you. I can hear them, which I can now, finally. So. Okay. <laughs> it's always equipment on this podcast. Always. Well, well, Harry just got me a new mic. So yeah. I set it up. So it's, it comes back to me for yeah. sure. <laughs> Well, guys, thank you so much for being on. I appreciate it. And we'll be looking for you guys in three events and, and tracking your progress. And uh, so I hope uh, I hope we're our, our paths cross. It's a fascinating thing. I'm glad to meet you guys. Thanks, guys. Appreciate yeah, it. Thanks for having us, guys. Thanks. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Cheers. Bye.